Welcome to the 21st Century Physio Podcast, helping you bring your practice into the 21st century with the latest technology news, research reviews, and easy-to-implement practice tips. Now, here's your host, Stephen King. Well, welcome, Dave. Welcome to the 21st Century Physio Podcast. It's a real honor to have you on the podcast today, so thanks for joining us. Cheers, Stephen. Thanks for the opportunity. Now, it's, it was really great to come across your stuff. I think uh, we sort of must have, the worlds must have been colliding at some point. And because I, I think I stumbled onto your website, I think the very next day you must have stumbled onto ours and, and purchased a mat. So it was sort of around that sort of some cohesion in the, you know, the weird, uh, weird and wonderful world, I guess, that uh, brought us together, yeah, which yeah. is great. Yeah, no, no, it was funny that actually, yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I think I think it must have been. Yeah, it was it was the exact same time, pretty much. Yeah, and um, yeah, I'm really happy with the mat. Actually, it's uh, it's been really good. No, it's fantastic. That's good to hear. Now, obviously, I've been looking a fair bit into your stuff since I stumbled across it. I'm really intrigued by a lot of the work you've done. You know, you're doing now and that you've done in the past. For the people who don't know you, do you want to give them a bit of a rundown about your career to date and some of the amazing things you've done? Yeah, yeah. I um, so I, I went into um, sport straight from uni, which is like the big no-no um, over here in the UK. It's like going to into NHS do your rotations and stuff like that. Um, so I was looking, I got an opportunity in uh, with Leeds Rhinos as a student and Bradford Bulls. Yeah. Um, then I went travelling, got a job offer um, coming back, so I went straight in as the assistant with Leeds Rhinos. Um, kind of initially split between them and, and Yorkshire County Rugby Union sites. They're, they're under the same um, kind of training ground, and then especially like went over to, to lead trainers then um, pretty quickly to start of the next season. Uh, worked my way up there um, to be the lead physio there, um, and I left them after about just under four years. Went to or back to Ireland to work with Munster Rugby Union, uh, which is kind of like my, my childhood team and, and stuff like that. So I was like my, my dream job really. Um, so. Um, took that, um, and then I was my wife, who was my wife at the time, uh, and Ava were still over in Huddersfield, and for a few different reasons, obviously um, it was like uh, came back to England, um, but I got an opportunity to head up uh, the Huddersfield Giants uh, medical team. So that was kind of I used to live in Huddersfield, even when I was travelling to Leeds, and anyone who who knows the M62, you I don't know if you've experienced it yet, mate. It, it's just horrific. So the fact that I could just go, 10 minutes down the road into the training ground was, was a breath of fresh air really so I uh, spent three years with the Giants um, and yeah I was really really good at that point in my career which I'm sure we'll talk about is was really refining and, and almost treating that like a lab respectfully um, that was like my lab where I was just at that point in my career I was getting pissed off with oh sorry are we without swear in this podcast at all? No. Uh, d- definitely we've got, we've got plenty of Australians and Irish and English on there I'm sure yeah, they'll be yeah, fine sorry, with that I get, when, when I get swear a lot especially in courses but anyway um i don't want to drink them in worse but um <laughs> so yeah so um was kind of getting tired of this whole quick fix stuff um mm-hmm. you know pain coming back and stuff like that and, and kind of a monster a few guys that i that were really complex injuries and i kind of realized i didn't know it all at that point so then for the three years with the giants i just like um really was like more focused on getting structure and, and, and a system really in place and mm-hmm. by the end of the three years then i was like I'm, I'm pretty happy where my head's at. You know, it's it's pretty resilient, this system. Um, and a few people and students and stuff were coming to me and, and were kind of asking for a bit of mentorship. So, um, as I said, you know, 
I wasn't expecting to still be doing my, my mentorship at this point, but um, I started it. I was like, right, I'll I'll see the kind of the reply. Got obviously got a got a good few from Ireland who kind of would would know me a little bit anyway. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, it's it's kind of grow from there. Now, um, last year, uh, the England rugby league team asked me to get involved um, for the World Cup year, which is an unbelievable experience. So got to to go to Sydney mid season against um, Samoa, and then obviously the World Cup in. In Australia and New Zealand was brilliant, um, you know, an unbelievable experience. And so I'm continuing with that um, at the moment. And then I'm doing a bit of consulting with Warrington Wolves uh, one day a week as well at the moment as well, which, which is um, is good to kind of keep my hand in, in the professional sport. And then obviously we, we've got the clinic here in Huddersfield as well. So, yeah, so a lot, a lot going on, but, but it's all good. Where do you find time to sleep? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a uh, debatable uh, sometimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm working in my sleep sometimes, but you you know yourself. But yeah, no, it's good. It's, I, I am trying to get better at the work life balance. That that's one of my my big things at the moment. To be honest, I'm working on that hard. You know yourself. I'm exactly in the same same boat right at the minute. So. You mentioned, you know, you're starting to get some of these complex cases or you're seeing these short-term gains, but then, you know, people end up with, you know, similar injuries and those type of things. What do you think you were missing, you know, coming out of university and, you know, you said, you said jump straight into the sporting team world, uh, which is a little bit of a different place to a lot of practitioners who go into, as you said, into hospitals or into private practice. What do you think? Do you think university set you up well? Um, and what do you, what skills do you think maybe that they didn't develop as well as they could have or that you needed to succeed at that level? Yeah, and it, that, that's an interesting one. And again, I don't mean any disrespect to lecturers or anyone listening to this, but I don't think they, they set us up well. And, and some of my best mates are lecturers now, um, you know, and, and they've worked in pro sport and, and they're they're in the universities and I, I'm chatting to them a lot and they're desperate to try get stuff in. But it's so hard for them because they they have to apply or they have to fit it to towards the the CSP and, and the HBC over here in the UK of of certain stuff they have to hit and I think until that stuff changes the lecturers are stuck between a rock and a hard place so I don't think it's necessarily um, their fault um, but I think the when when we're in university there's there's a few things I think um, there's a false belief that what you get shown. Um, in your labs and stuff like that, it's going to work brilliantly with every patient. Yep. And the the other thing then is we just treat the, the side of pain. Um, and I think uh, therapists and new grads especially, they get a big shock. And it's it's quite overwhelming when you go into the real world and you you do what you are taught and there's not much change, you know, or, or the, the, the pain experience moves or, or they feel okay and, and then it comes back again. And, and it's the... The, the structure and the, the thorough understanding, I think, is, is, is lacking a little bit there. And, and like everything, you need exposure to it and, and you need to, to start developing your own way. But um, I think that was the, the big thing for me anyway that I think I was, I was lacking. And um, I was very lucky to have a, a really good mentor um, starting out, like Myron, um, Myron Jones, who's, who's in Melbourne at the moment. Obviously, I mentioned him um, with, with Melbourne Storm. But he kind of, um, he showed me the value in, in soft tissue work. Um, he showed me the value in people getting strong. He showed me the value in, in looking at the whole body and the kinetic chain. So for me not to be sidetracked, as I call it, into getting into bad habits, um, that was very, very valuable for me. And I think that, that like, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that opportunity because that just kept me, I think, in my opinion, on, on that right road. Um, um, from day one, really, without kind of going down in, and, and developing kind of bad habits. And again, 
to define the bad habits, it might be a little bit tricky. And, and again, I appreciate that's a bit of opinion, but um, if that makes sense. So I think the, the confidence, clarity and structure, I don't think is there when, when we leave uni. Um, and that's the thing I think we need to work hard on. And that's the thing I've been striving for and, and I'm continuing to try improve my clarity and, and structure in my system, really, you know. Yep, fantastic. Well, you mentioned your system. You spent sort of three years developing it and sort of refining it. A bit of a test lab with some of the guinea pigs there. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, the sports teams. All sorts thrown at them. <laughs> <laughs> so, what does the what does the system involve? Because I noticed you know you're big on that with your academy. Yeah, yeah. So for me, you know, um, like and and the value of my my academy and, and my mentorship. I always say to people, it's not the techniques. It's not the 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 exercises and stuff like that it's the understanding and the clinical reasoning and I think there's a there's a massive issue in our profession with I'm sorry I don't want to steal your thunder with, with questions maybe later but I think clinical reasoning it's 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 a, a big big thing that we need to improve on as therapists and and not only that but but just common sense and logical progressions uh, I think is is something that um, you know we we need to get a lot lot better at myself included. Um, but for me, it's it's all about linking the injury history or the person's story, um, as we call it. And again, I know Peter O'Sullivan over there, he talks a lot about the story. And I, I kind of came across the story from a sports psychologist that I worked with. Um, and then it, kinda, it was nice when, when a lot of different people are looking at it from different ways and they're using the same same terminology. And, and I, liked, I liked story because story usually is somebody becomes a hero. And I think what a lot of therapists do is they try to be the hero, um, but actually we're the guide in helping that patient get to, to where they want to go. So that's kind of how, how I look at it now is in we need to understand that patient's story. And we've got physical stressors that I call these, which is previous injuries, but we've also got emotional stressors, which is the, the stress of daily life and, and the reactions that happens on, on the respiratory system, on the heart rate, on you know, on many systems that I don't understand um, in depth. So it's kind of appreciating how that might come true into your objective assessment. So when you're looking at your objective assessment, you're starting to make sense of a story as opposed to just going through the motions with the subjective and then, you know, just, just flying through the objective. And, and especially if you kind of go back to new grads, you know, the amount of students that are I've just got a guy on placement here at the moment and um, not necessarily him, but especially with the Giants where they, they'd run through the objective assessment and they've, they've told, touched it backward bend, they've twisted. And, and I haven't even processed what I'm looking at with the toe touch and they've moved on to the next test. And that, that's me seven, eight years later trying, trying to work it out. I'm just like, just step back, relax and, and just look and, and try to make sense of, of his movement strategies. What's he avoiding loading? What's maybe he loading too much? And, and just starting to make sense of, of the story really rather than trying to have a diagnosis based on one specific test, you know. So, so, so that's kind of the first bit. And then kind of as my objective goes on, then it's more about just kind of going a little bit deeper into it and seeing maybe more of the reactions of the nervous system. Um, so again, why, why someone got decreased hip internal rotation? You know, asking that question, what, how, why does this person have that? And how does that fit with their story versus somebody else who has it? And again, not going to the, you know, not jumping straight into the, to release that, but actually, um, you know, stepping back and going, well, maybe if I can try to get the true stressor, will that hip internal rotation change pretty quickly? And a lot of times we, we find that happens. I'm sure you guys definitely will as well. And, um, 
And then the, the last bit then is is understanding, and this fits nicely with, with your stuff, and this is what really you know attracted me to your stuff is is what directions of force, as, as I call this, um, the person struggling to to tolerate load. And very often we'll see um, you know someone who's got an Achilles or a recurrent calf tightness or something like that in one plane of motion, and but actually in another plane of motion they they've got like a perceived treadle to me where the nervous system is not happy to load these tissues in that direction because obviously a muscle different fibers of the muscle is going to contract in depending on on the direction that that the law needs to, to happen in so that that got me really interested that was the missing link for me i think um and then by the time i got to the giants it was, it was trying to find the directions of force that they weren't using and then focusing a lot of my rehab on that so my hands-on treatment is desensitizing tissues maybe that are contributing to the pain experience but a lot of my rehab kind of the 80 20 80 percent of my rehab then is is giving back the body's ability to tolerate loads in the directions that that they're missing really and once we have those kind of that bit of information from the objective then it, then it gets very easy because the the hands-on my hands-on work it's the start of my loading so it's it's putting a load through the tissue you know not saying making massive claims about scar tissue or any crap like that i'm simply putting a load through tissue getting the nervous system to tolerate that load on a very local level then the rehab we can build out from that so we can get the synergies to, to fire together we can get the nervous system to self-organize and and start to load them through that progressive pathway which again I, you guys will do a, a, it looks like you do a lot of similar stuff to, to myself and and then as, as i kind of mentioned um, to you as well of having that common sense step-by-step progressive you know pathway really where you're just increasing the load every session you you understand where your exercise fits into where you're at with the patient and how that gets into the end goal and and I think a lot of therapists that I see you know especially when they come into my mentorship they're they're working session to session where their heads down they're just they're treating the person in, in a session per session but there's no long-term plan of, of where they're trying to get to and, and that's kind of my t- Thing is is after that first session is you kind of realize okay they need to be hitting this at session two session three session four and and that's really important in pro sport as well because that's going to that's ultimately the thing that's going to give you the prognosis of when they're going to be back training or when they're when they're potentially going to be ready to play really you know and, and i was very lucky obviously to have exposure to that from an early age um, whereas a lot of therapists don't have that exposure you know where there's no pressure on them to answer these these difficult questions Sorry, I've, I've rambled. May I do that a bit? I hope that answers the question. No, I think that's awesome. I think it's yeah, it's a very similar approach to you know what we use at Matt. Everyone, no one would be surprised to hear you know hear me say that. I think, and I really like that approach. You know, with the story and allowing people to you know you to help them along with their story, but make them you know stay you know, be that star character. I get play that star role and empower them to uh, to get back to where they want to be for the you know for us we talk about their individual needs wants or goals like what's the big thing um, that's driving them yeah. to to come to you what are they striving to get better towards so I think that's a really uh, important thing uh, I really like um, your approach of manual therapy there's still a place for it you know I think a lot of people when they start to talk about that biopsychosocial model tend to get very much you know we're either in that psychosocial we're very much you know just talking and you know working through that model a lot of people are working through the biomechanical model sounds like you're you know blending that model together which is awesome yeah definitely and, and there's a place for it all really in in my system anyway definitely and, and i think it's it's a shame that people are going on one or the other really nowadays and i think if you if you can get that blend and, and you pick your patient in terms of what they actually need to progress to the next level then you know everything's fair game and, and once you don't have that person um 
you know, lying on the bed for an hour and you're just you're just treating soft tissue, you're not going to get them becoming reliant on soft tissue. You know, my, my assessments and, and treatment, they're very, very interactive. I'm treating a person with hands-on for maybe two, three minutes. Then they're up, they're doing something. We're reassessing, you know, and we're, we're breaking it down like that for two or three kind of blocks within the half hour that, that we have with the patient or, or however long. So it's a very, very active session. And But the hands-on work is still a very important part. And that, that really allows me... Um, I'm not going to say an opportunity window. That that's a stupid term, but it's the it's the starting point for me. Integrated exposure, you know, is that loading of that tissue. That it's it's as simple as that, and it allows me to get to the next level in my return to play. Um, and the exercise get allows me to get to the next level, and then the progression allows me to get to the next level. And then once we keep going, we're going to get to that ideal outcome, like like you mentioned, you know. Yeah, and hopefully have it, you know, someone with a lot of confidence as well, which is often the thing that, you know, we don't develop in a lot of therapists. I think we're, you know, we're okay at loading the tissues a little bit. We're okay at, you know, uh, maybe educating some people on pain, but actually building that confidence and giving them uh, that ability to return to what they want to do. Sometimes I think we leave that a little bit short. So I think that's a great approach. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And, and I think our confidence is, as well is massive in terms of, like I, I think I put this on an email before, but like what your physiology is saying versus your words, you know, you have to completely believe that that person's ready to 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 do the next progression, and and they need to believe that you believe. And um, I think sometimes we'll say, yeah, do that, 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 and then your physiology is saying something completely different, and then people wonder why patients aren't adhering to our exercises and and buying in and stuff like that. And I think like our confidence is going to build confidence in the patient, if that makes sense. Yeah. Definitely. I think having a good assessment, which you've stressed is highly important for you, helps to build that confidence as well. If you can show someone where they're at and you know that they're improving over time, I think that's going to be greatly beneficial as well. So you mentioned you put a, you know, you spend a lot of time with your assessment. Um, you know, you said some of those new graduates maybe don't have those skills and they're, you know, making either some false assumptions or they're not digging deep enough into that assessment. What does your assessment involve? With your yeah, so my, my assessment is very, very simple. Um, it's, it's not a lot of special tests or anything like that, to be honest, um, on, unless, unless there was a, a big mechanism, you know, with, with a knee or, or something like that. Obviously, we, we, we'd need to check the, the special test. The shoulder, you know, it, it's like with the greatest respect, the majority of time it's a waste of time. Um, you know, the amount of guys that I've seen with slap tears and, and all sorts of issues and, and they're absolutely fine is is crazy but um for me it's all about um seeing how the body's adapted so i will do a generic touch your toes bend back um reach your hand down your left leg reach your hand down your right leg twist and what i'm looking for is is any protective kind of strategies that they're using where they're not maybe happy to lower tissues um so again if if i reach my hand down my left leg is my hip happy to to go right to challenge my base of support to keep my center of gravity between my base of support if it's not then i'm asking why why is this person not happy to load these tissues at the moment how does that fit into the, to their subjective assessment um and then also um i still think peripheral tissues are important um i appreciate central nervous systems the king um but i think the interaction between the two now i don't think you can split the two one or the other i think there's, there's a massive interlink there but i think the the peripheral tissues what maybe aren't doing their job i think has a massive impact on maybe where the person feels pain experience so for instance if someone was getting pain at the very start of a toe touch versus someone that was getting a pain experience at the end of a toe touch there's different tissues that are going to be maybe active 
in, in those parts of the movement. So again, if someone has back pain at the start of the movement, should the low back tissues really be, you know, tolerating a majority of the load at this point, which presumably or potentially may have, have contributed to that pain experience? Well, what, what should be doing its job at that point? So one of the first things we have to do when we touch our toes is we need to slouch. So a rib cage needs to depress, a diaphragm needs to lengthen, or intercostals at the back need to lengthen. So again, that's where we might start to see the emotional components of that person with a sensitized respiratory system, their mouth breathing, they've, you know, they, they've really lost the ability to, to shorten and lengthen that diaphragm through its normal range of motion maybe. So is this now what we're seeing with their toe touch, a strategy of, of the stresses they've had in their life? And again, you know, we, with this stuff as well, all I'm trying to do is give the body back what it once had. It's not about, you know, it's not about trying to retrain the diaphragm um, or any of that stuff. It's just trying to get that diaphragm to go through a full range of motion and let the nervous system figure it all out because every situation, every environment is different. Um, and a lot of this is, is happening at a subconscious level anyways, you know, and, and you know, the, the breathing stuff, it's an interesting conversation as well. And it's all well and good doing a breathing retraining in, in the clinic where you're nice and safe. But when the person's out in the real world and their boss is coming towards them, you know, what's the first thing that's going to happen? Their heart rate's coming up, their, their breathing rate's changed again, you know. So um, I don't think it's as, as simple as, as maybe we like to think it is. But um, but just, just doing that, that kind of generic... Um, appraisal i suppose of what maybe they're not loading what's maybe doing too much work and again it's you the usual suspects are the, are the guys taking the, the blame so and i'll always say that to the patient as well is you know and, and this kind of fits into the pain science a little bit is i'll say to them you know well the good news is i think your back's doing a great job for you um you know i think it's doing a lot a lot of work for you at the moment because maybe these tissues aren't, aren't doing enough work and and that's really um quite powerful i find is because it breaks their belief system straight away of my back's weak and it needs core exercises and all this stuff. And, and once they understand that, their the relationship to it is is a little bit different. And, and then I'll use pain as an opportunity to go, if you have a pain experience, then potentially you're, you're maybe using these tissues a little bit. Let's go back and, and try change that, that strategy a little bit. So um, that, that can be quite powerful. But then once we've done that, object, sorry, I've skipped a little bit there, but once we get back to the objective, then looking at passive assessment, I think the passive assessment is very powerful. You know, if someone's got decreased hip internal rotation and supine, but they, they've got full hip internal rotation and prone, there's different tissues shortening and lengthening um, depending on, on the assessment, you know. So we can get a lot of valuable information from the basic test that we were taught at university. Hmm. But I suppose it's more that critical higher level thinking that, that, that we probably want to try to do now. And again, step back, take a breath and, and start to ask yourself questions. Um, why is their hip decreased? In internal rotation supine but he's got full internal rotation and prone um, and then as I said the, the ability to develop tension or, or build um, or build tension is is then the, the final bit so I've kind of got eight tests that I'll do for the lower limb and just very very simple tests I'll put a perturbatory force through the tissue and see how the, how the person reacts to that can they actually develop an isometric contraction between the hamstring, the gastroc, the glute, and the rec fem, can they co-contract at the knee at a very low level on the bed? And again, that, that gives me a nice starting point then, because if they can't do it there, um, then, you know, if I go up onto my feet quite quickly and they get pain, etc., you know, I have kind of don't know what what it is, whereas if I can get them, um, get them an ability to do that at low level, then take them up onto their feet, then if they get pain, I go back, check the previous level, 
have they still kept that? So again, is it, is it an increased loading issue with the tissue or is it that they just don't have an ability to work that hamstring isometrically in the first place? So we can kind of then start to get that that stepping stone where we can recheck our work. And if someone does have pain, then it's just a simple regression to the, to the previous level. And we probably haven't um, got their nervous system to tolerate loading at that level enough before we, we've progressed. So for me, it, it's just about step by step of, of kind of clinically reasoning what peripheral tissues may contribute to the pain experience, do our best to desensitize them, do our best to tolerate loading to those tissues, but also most importantly, tolerate the or 80% of my loading is the tissues that maybe aren't doing an, um, a good enough job that's maybe causing the, the the area of the body to have excessive load and ultimately a pain experience, you know? Yeah. So with when you say they're not doing a good enough job, you know, you said you sort of do some perturbations and that type of thing. What else do you do to sort of stress those tissues to find out, you know, if they're not, you know, pulling their weight, I guess? Yeah, so like, like a basic manual muscle test, really. Um, yeah. But for me, it's, it's not about how... That, that is more about what I'm interested in, in that is the journey to the isometric contraction. So again, I'll see kind of two, two to three strategies, really. Someone um, will use a high threshold strategy and they'll kind of, you know, I'll be pushing maybe 20, 30 percent of my max voluntary contraction and they're using 100 percent. So I'll take that with a pinch of salt. I'll say, OK, that's great. But just meet my pressure, you know, and all I want to do is do they have a um, a energy um not energy expensive energy efficient way of matching the the load that i put through the body can they self-organize to, to figure that out and very often when we test them at, at submaximal loads they'll have a decreased more motor output basically so they can't self-organize from the spinal cord level to, to the peripheral tissue to, to meet the the demands of of the um of the, the perturbation load and then obviously the higher centers can that get involved and, and figure it out and sure if we keep doing it we're going to get that coordination back eventually but i suppose the the big question in my mind at that point is why why have they lost that in the first place so the center information going up to the spinal cord what's been affected that that's caused that reaction and again that's where we'll go back to the, pre the previous injuries you know so again um a scar you know from from surgery the, the amount of receptors in the skin there from that scar is, has that influenced it has um you know some kind of protective tone which i appreciate that's that's a bit of a, a gem a vague term but um you know is there still some kind of adaptation from a previous injury that's influencing the, the center information going up to the up to the spinal cord really so um anything like that um it you know it, it's fair game for me really i'm just i'm just again i'm coming up with a working hypothesis and i'm trying my best to disprove it you know, and, and if it's starting to make sense to me and it starts to make sense to their injury history, it's decreasing their pain experience, it's increasing their range of motion, we've given back the body um, movement options, then then it's brilliant, you know. So um, I'm not too my I'm not too worried on um, on a diagnosis. It's just for me it's all about giving back the body what it once had. And and once you, you focus on that, it gives you a lot of freedom. Um, you're not trying to do a specific thing or you're not trying to isolate a specific specific structure and once we get them out of fight or flight and once we give them back options you know magic things happen really you know pain starts decreasing very very quickly and and the person starts moving completely different you know and, and again is, was it a strength issue um not really because you know i've changed their the motor output in, in two seconds there so for me that was you know a nervous system and and just having that ability to coordinate again yep Definitely. And so when you do start moving into those exercises that you do t give them to take home, like what sort of things are you give them after you sort of, you know, identify these things? Yeah. 
Yeah, so, so again, session one would be a very low level loading of the tissues. So again, you know, it may be some kind of um, movement where they're working up to a glute bridge. So I'm big into isometric contractions all the way through um, the, the rehab, including standing. Um, but again, it, it's, not, it's not a maximal isometric contraction. It's getting that sensory awareness back through these tissues, showing the nervous system that it's safe to tolerate these loadings. So we're integrating a lot of breathing with these isometric contractions. Um, we might do that on the bed. And then usually what I'll do is I'll get them in standing. And then that's where I'll start going to the 3D movement. And I'll give them the exact same type of loading, but, but in standing. So it's just that's the next progressive loading of, of those tissues. So again, it's the same direction, isometric into the, the standing. And again, it's all about, for me, it's the intent is, 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 is the big thing, really. Because we, from a movement point of view, we've got an intent and then all the different layers will, will self-organize to achieve that. So that, that's kind of where the 3D movement stuff's really, really nice because you can just give them um, a task and we can get these tissues to, to, to activate subconsciously, you know, which I think is really powerful. Yeah, and I think when you think about those principles in neuroplasticity, that makes sense too. You know, you're going pretty specific with what you want to do. You're going specific to the direction, specific to that task which that individual needs to do. And you mentioned focus, which I think is a key thing, which, again, I think a lot of physiotherapists prescribe exercises and the patient doesn't really have to think about doing them, whereas we know from you know, the principles of neuroplasticity, intensity in that focus is actually really important to create some of those you know, neural changes too, so neural adaptation. So I really like that approach. That's massive. And I think, I think that's a massive thing as well, uh, Stephen, with buy-in, is yeah. if the exercise, especially with athletes, if the exercise is challenging, yeah. it's hard. Um, and, and even like with the breathing stuff, I get a lot of people say, oh, they won't buy into my breathing exercise and stuff like that. If you challenge someone to slow down their inhalation through their nose and take 10 seconds to inhale through your nose slowly, a lot of athletes will find that challenging. Then you, you'll get the buy-in because they, they want to, naturally, they, they want they want to beat the next guy or, or they, they want to problem solve. And, and that, that's the biggest difference really from, from my experience with pro athletes versus amateurs is pro athletes can problem solve very, very quickly, you know, and then that's really good for us because we can progress into the next level quite quickly then in, in the loading. Um, so, but, but yeah, these exercises, if, if you're on the true stressor, they are mentally exhausted after, you know, six, seven reps because you're, you're, you're putting them in a position where there's a perceived stress, perceived stress to the nervous system. That's very cost effective in terms of energy and resources that they're using. Um, now, we don't want to take them too far into fight or flight when they go rigid and, and, and they're, they're maybe not moving in, in a relaxed manner like we want to. But we, we always want to be somewhere between that, that fight or flight and rest and digest. And I think a lot, and especially for new grads, your patient is showing you the signs of where they're at, but you just need to open your eyes and, and start looking for them. Like, are they holding their breath? Are they going rigid through the rib cage? Are they going rigid through their foot? You know, these are all signs that that, that person's starting to go a little bit too far into fight or flight, and maybe we need to, to repress them a little, you know? Yeah, definitely. No, I think, I think you make some really yeah, important points there. It looks like you picked up some, you know, some nice things from that elite sport and brought it back into your practice as well. What other things do you yeah. think you learned along Sorry. the way from elite sport, you know, that has helped you in private practice that you think some other other physios out there could benefit from? Yeah, um, like every every single patient, like at ProSport Physio, we, we treat them with the exact same system. It's just how long we may spend at a particular level or the amount of loading we might do may, may change. So for a runner, we're going to definitely be doing a lot of hopping, whereas for someone who wants to pick their grandkids up, we still want good core contractions at the knee, but we want them to be able to, to extend at the hip and, and, and 
be relaxed in the rib cage and, and the lumbar spine obviously when they're lifting so that's where we might start to put external load on them so that that system is is the same really it's just all about tolerating load um through the tissues that you need to be able to tolerate load and be resilient to to be successful in life really so it there, there's no difference for me to be honest mate with, with the two um in terms of in terms of lessons learned from pro sport it's yeah it's that's a good question um and i've never really thought about that before to be honest with you um probably um yeah I'd, I'd, lessons learned i i think i think it's probably just getting that clarity in the system the return to play system and, and, and yeah. putting that into the private practice is probably the biggest thing really of of actually treating private practice patients like like um like professional athletes and in and this is a, this is a big thing in terms of just because and this is our biggest challenge in the clinic which again you might ask me that is is once that pain is gone it's getting the patient to understand that just because the pain's gone we still need a little bit more work to do in terms of building resilience to to these movements so that you can you know you can be successful in life and and that, that's a big challenge for us in in the clinic sometimes and, and that's something i work a lot on and, and i'm dissecting a lot of why why maybe some people can't grasp that and aren't willing to to invest that extra session and obviously when when you know when you've money changing hands and stuff like that it's it, it's complicated um a little bit complicated but I think people see the value in, in going that extra couple of sessions and, you know, in pro sport, just because the athlete's pain free now doesn't mean he goes straight back training. He has to go through his, his sets of, you know, reconditioning and, and, and temper runs or whatever you're using to make sure that he can tolerate these loads at, at these speeds. And, and th that can be challenging for private practice patients, but slowly we're, we're starting to, to kind of, um, I suppose, educate them on, on the benefits of, of that extra session or two, which hopefully will, will, will provide fruit for, you know, when, the, when they're in, in times of increased stress under heavy loads in, in real life, you know. Definitely. And I think uh, hopefully now as you've got the mat in there, some objective data definitely helps with that as well, being able to show patients something tangible, you know, whether they can see, look, there's still some imbalances there. We still know from the literature, you know, that you're this much more likely to potentially get an injury down the track. We, you shouldn't be returning back to sport until you get less than this number. All of a sudden, it gives them some clear cutoff points uh, and some objectivity and gives them some goals to reach as well. So we found that's been really successful for us uh, and for lots of our you know, MAT users around the world um, to help get people back to 100%. Because I think you know, we talk about people often, you know, they come into people at a, a level of dysfunction. I don't really like that word, but you know, a point in time where things aren't going all that well. And we want to get them back to you know, 100% to that level of performance, whatever it is, whether it's a sporting field or playing with their grandkids. But I think physiotherapists traditionally only take people you know, so far along the, the, that road, they don't often get them back to that last 15, 20%. And whether that's through yeah, the physiotherapist not pushing them hard enough or whether it is the, the patient just starts to feel better and they start to drop off their management plans. So I think objective data, it, yeah. As you start to use the mat, hopefully that might uh, might help out too. Yeah, no, that that's a great point, and that that's probably you've probably answered my question there in terms of using that more in the private practice as well with 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 athletes and stuff like that, and, and the return to play objective markers. We obviously use a lot of it with pro athletes, but yeah, we we and our clinics probably definitely up to now being guilty of of not using those with with patients which obviously you, your guys maths is awesome first so yeah that that's that's probably you probably answered my question there <laughs> with, with the objective markers yeah
Glad to help. Now, tell us about your return to play course because you've obviously got a few of those coming up. What do you What do you look for when you're working with your athletes before they get back onto the sporting field to make sure that they're you know safe and robust enough to be able to tolerate the forces on the field? Yeah. So just just once they can go through um, the step by step, I suppose loading and i'm doing a big lit review at the moment here and and really just trying to put it all together um in terms of of justifying every single step really um and i'm getting there slowly with it um but more really making sense of the literature and having a common sense progressive loading and you know it's logical it's step by step if they can't you know just because someone can lunge pain free doesn't mean they can run you know, the, the force is going through the system, you know, it's, it's, you know, chalk and cheese. So it's, it's filling the gaps there so that they, we can go through. And again, the hopping stuff's really valuable for me in terms of bridging that gap. And again, even the different uh, subsystems within my hopping, you know, that we'll do to get them to the higher level hopping. But once they can do the higher level hopping, the ground reaction forces they're tolerating there compared to running, we've actually super maximally loaded them. So that's the thing that, that gives me confidence to say, you've done this. You've got no reactions in terms of swelling, no decreased range of motion, no other adaptations. The nervous system may put down. Right, I think you're ready to run. So, and it almost taking them to that level where we've got, you know, we can't literally do any, any more from, you know. So that's the, the time then when I've justified to myself, okay, you're, you're ready to run. And that doesn't take a long time. You know, you can do all that within one session, as you guys, I'm sure, see. Um, but it's just having a common sense, step-by-step plan. And, and that's ultimately what my return to play system is. And um, it's, it's, there is exercises in there, um, but it's more about understanding and, and really having that, that common sense structure. That, that's what, what my return to play is, is all about, really, and, and applying it in the real world with, with real people. And, and that's something that I think... You know, your mat is brilliant for that as well as you You can straight away, your course is going to show people how they can use it. And I think that's something where I'm very, very conscious. Everything on my mentorship it needs to be able to apply in the real world. You know, my mentorship is not a master's in, in terms of we're going to, you know, obviously the research is there if people want it. But it's more about implementation. That's the, the key things. That's the thing that's going to get results ultimately at the end of the day, you know, when you apply it. Yeah, definitely. And you said you've been reading a lot of research over the last couple of months. Are there any particular papers you found, um, you know, particularly interesting? Yeah, there's there's a good one. Again, you guys um, would you've probably read it. Is um, there's a paper prior um, uh, at Al? It's about the, the I can't remember the the, the name actually. Sorry, I actually I'll put in the link up. to the podcast. The, That's okay. Yeah, the influence of changes in trunk and pelvic posture during single leg standing on hip, hip and thigh muscle activation on a pain-free population. So yep. I don't know if you've read that. Absolutely. So that, that's uh, that's really, really interesting paper um, in terms of, of I suppose, putting, making sense of the 3D stuff and, and kind of almost being able to go, yeah, I kind of knew that, but it's nice to be able to see that, that, that what, we, what we were kind of seeing. And, and also for therapists to make sense of, okay, well, if I reach forward with my hands, that's going to put a bit more load through the hamstring. Brilliant. If I reach above, it's going to put a bit more load through direct femur or whatever. So I think that's going to give therapists a lot of clarity in, in kind of using these movements and, and intent and, and what we do with our hands, what we do with our feet and, and some of the, the reactions that that's, um, that's happening in the body so that we can give the nervous system a task. And we, we can be pretty confident that these tissues are, are going to be 
activating in in these scenarios you know so i'm really excited to see where that research goes and, and if anyone builds on on that research and i think that's the kind of research that's going to be really valuable to therapists in in helping them you know make better decisions and, and clinically reason that the type of movements that that they're going to do i actually really love reading that paper it's, it fits on my biases pretty nicely but it also made me think back to some people that i've learned a lot with at the gray institute i'm not sure if you've heard about them um out of yeah, the usa yeah, yeah. But they've been talking about that sort of stuff for 30, 30 years, and it's actually nice to see, you know, they're sort of saying, why is everyone lying on their back to train TA? You know, if you start to then, you know, reach up and do these type of things in all three dimensions, you know, that's going to be you're getting a lot more activation than lying down on your back and trying to, you know, suck your belly button in and much more functional as well. Exactly, and, and that, that, that's kind of what I was getting at is I, I've done a lot of their online stuff and, um, you know, that, that was a big influence on me on my return to play stuff as well in, in putting it all together from, from bed to, to, to high-end stuff. And then obviously I, I started to integrate a lot of the Franz Bosch stuff um, kind of prior to that as well. But um, that, that paper is, is brilliant and, and that's the stuff, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I think new grads should be reading because it's stuff that's actionable. And we can apply it whereas some of the research it's it overwhelms people you know and 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 then we don't take action and same with patients if, if we give them an exercise they don't understand it it's too difficult they get overwhelmed they don't do the exercise you know and um the papers like that i think are, are really really good um and again um the you know when we when we look at any of the, the motor adaptations to pain and noxious stimulus papers like kylie tucker um and paul hodges are doing really good stuff up in um queensland that's the stuff that's really really interesting where we see what happens to the body when there is pain or noxious stimulus how the body adapts to that and, and takes forces away from from the areas you know and again what you're seeing now is that just a reaction to how the body's adapted from the previous injury or the previous injury and and stuff like that's really, really, like they're really good papers to, to be reading that and stuff, um, you know, for, for new grads to, to start to understand movement and understand, you know, you know, human behavior, I suppose, really. And, and, and those kind of papers, I think, give a lot more than, they do a lot more good than, than harm. And I think some papers can, can overwhelm therapists a lot, you know, and, and almost cause us to, to stop um, in our tracks. Definitely, and create whole industries. You know, some of that early stuff from Hodges and Hyde and those guys. You know, ended up with everyone doing those TA and VMO exercises and those type of things. Whereas I think now, now that they're being interpreted the right way, and more research is coming out, especially putting it together with the central nervous system, I think it's all um, yeah, it's an interesting space and something I'm definitely interested in as well. Must so. Be, yeah. There's obviously a lot of you know physios out there who want to follow a similar pathway. So you did get into that elite sport. You know what are some you know some advice you'd have for people to get into it? Um, what are the, some of the things you enjoyed about it, and what are some of the things that maybe you, you didn't actually enjoy that much about it too? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, I think I think you have to be willing to work hard. Um, you you have to be willing to be obsessed. Um, be honest with you you know it's it's a night and day job um you know and you need to be willing to put the work in and when i first started i was i was in at you know leaving the house at six i was in for a quarter to seven i was getting back at nine ten at night you know but i loved every minute of it so it didn't matter um you know and then i'm reading um in the evenings i'm, I'm reading on saturday sunday just just trying to learn more um and i think because the sport environment especially in rugby anything could be thrown at you at any given time and you can't know it all so you have to be constantly kind of on your toes um with it 
Um, there's a lot of unsociable hours. So again, that's where you have to be obsessed and loving it because if you don't, you're, you're going to get um, a little bit dis disgruntled pretty quickly. Um, but it's very, very high pressure as well. Um, I think people need to be aware of that. And, and some people aren't built for it or, or certainly they're, you know, it, it's probably an environment that, you know, it's going to be very, very challenging and, and you need to be aware of that, you know, it's a high pressure environment. There's, there's mistakes be made. And if you make a mistake, there's consequences, you know, and, um, you know, especially like in the, in the, um, in the world cup as well, the media are on our backs and like fucking, they don't know half of what's going on, but they'll, they'll put stories out there and then you'll have other people commenting on, on what you're doing and, and they don't know shit, you know, and that can be quite frustrating as, as you, as you go, you go up the, the level. And I actually put a blog on that with hamstring injuries. I think it was like Liverpool had a lot of hamstring injuries three, four years ago. It's like, like everyone was giving their top and something like you've no idea what's going on behind the scenes at a pro sport club. So I just, I just think it's, it's really disrespectful for therapists to all of a sudden, you know, be an expert in, in something that they have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. There's so many factors anyway. So be ready for that. Um, it's it's especially side, easy with, uh, with social media these days. It's, yeah, uh, exactly. And, and, and even like, I think it, that that's one of the things as well that, that, you know, as a new grad, you have to be respectful I think I think it's brilliant that therapists are challenging beliefs and stuff like that. But at the same time, you know, you have to be respectful of therapists and where they're coming from and their experiences that that they've had when when they say some stuff on on social media. Whereas I see a lot of new grads now and they're they're hammering these people who've who've been in the trenches and and done things. And yeah, maybe they need to update their belief system a little bit, or, or maybe they they need to to maybe change what the terminology that they're saying or something. But at the same time, they were getting results. So, you know, instead of bastardizing and, and, and call them out, they actually ask the question, well, okay, maybe that's, that's why they think they're getting the results. Why are they getting these, these great results that, that they've got and stuff like that? And, you know, I think for, for new grads, you need to be um, respectful and humble um, and kind of work your way into it. So don't come in and, and be cocky and, and outgoing. Take a step back, see how people interact, um, get to know the personalities in sport and then start to, to kind of come out of your shell a little bit rather than going into it um, full guns blazing. Because as I said, it, you know, first impressions are massive in, in pro sport. And if the coach don't like you, it doesn't matter how good a, a physio you are or the, the captain or one of the senior players think you're cocky and, and they don't like you, that's going to have a big impact on, on your results ultimately at, at the end of the day. And, and stuff like that's been important as well. And I think the, the best therapists that work in sport are therapists, I think that or certainly in rugby that I've seen are therapists that have been involved in sports themselves and they just know how to handle themselves in, in group situations because it's, you know, if you're taking a pre-ab group and, and stuff like that, you have to be able to communicate and players aren't going to be thinking about pulling their TVA in or, or anything like that. They're not going to give a crap about squeezing glutes. They're having a chat to their mate, you know, and, and, and it's, can you keep their attention? Can you have authority in that situation and, and, and stuff like that? So there's, there's a whole host of, of skill sets that you haven't even um, been tested on yet, you know, in university going into sport. So it's just be, being aware of that. And again, I don't want to put people off, but I, because it's the most rewarding thing in the world, like being in, in Suncorp Stadium for the World Cup final um, in November, that was probably the highlight of my career, you know, like the police escort, you're in the bus. It's just like, there, there's nothing better than that. You're, you're in the dress room, you're, you're adrenaline shaking, you can barely strap ankles. You know, it, it's the best feeling in the world, but, it took a long, long time to, to get to that level. And, you know, the first year or two was head down, 
do your job, work the hours, put in the effort, have respect, learn, ask questions, and, and, and get to that point. Whereas I see a lot of therapists these days, they want it all very quickly. You know, they, they want a lot of money. They, they don't want to work weekends. They, they, they don't want to work evens. It's like, fucking hell, you need to, to work your, your way up the ladder here, you know, a little bit. And, and the, the therapist, if you want it badly enough, you, you'll make it. You know, I'm a big believer in that. If, if you're a good person, you're in it for the right reasons. You, you'll get to where you want definitely you just need to you know you, you need that lucky break but when the break comes you have to take it as well you know that that's really important and that your actions and your behavior up to that point is going to dictate when that opportunity comes whether whether you take it or not you know yeah and i like that i had a similar conversation with luke fuller a couple of podcasts ago where he was talking you can learn from everyone you know even if you don't 100 percent agree with everyone with everything they're saying there's always something that you can learn from someone especially someone who's been out for a lot longer even if they maybe aren't, you know, what you turn up to date with the, the latest research, there's always some, you know, clinical gold that you can learn from them. Massively. And there's always a reason why it's working. And again, once we ask ourselves that and, and we keep an open mind, you, you, you will get something. And, and even those therapists, their mannerisms, how they behave in front of coaches and players, their stuff like that, like it's just gold, you know. And, and I was something I was really lucky to be mentored at with Myron from an early age is how to speak to coaches. Yeah. You know, and just watching him, how he's dealt with the situation, how he's diffused when a coach is coming down, storming into the physio room, demanding answers. And, you know, that stuff, it's absolute gold. And, and, and some experienced therapists, you know, they're, they're in this, this level of sport for a long time because of, of those skill sets, you know, and, and, and that's a massive, massive part of, of pro sport as well, you know. Definitely, very, very much so. Now, I've still got a full sheet of paper here with questions to ask you, but yeah, sorry, no, I'm aware no, no. that I've taken up a lot of your time today. So what I think we'll have to do is maybe uh, we'll catch up on a podcast or maybe we'll have to catch up over a pint of Guinness when I'm over there in a month or two uh, running some yeah, of yeah, that courses. Sure. And uh, we'll pull the microphone out after, uh, see, see how that flag, uh, how the language evolves over, after, over a couple of pints. And, uh, <laughs> and we'll uh, hopefully get some more gold out of you because yeah, I think we've barely scratched the surface. So I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the 21st Century Physio Podcast, Dave. Anything you'd like to no, say to everyone right, listening me. before uh, we finish up? What's that, sorry about? I said any last advice for the people listening before we finish up? Yeah, just keep going, keep learning. And as I said, if you know what you want to do and, and you know where you want to be, then you'll make it if you want it, want it enough, you know, and you're willing to put the time in, you you will make it. Um, and I'm a prime example of that. Um, you know, I had a goal and I achieved that goal through hard work and stuff like that. And I think if you put your head down, you'll, you'll make it absolutely in pro sport or, or whatever setting you want, you know. Great advice. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for joining the 21st Century Physio podcast. I'll look forward to chatting again shortly. Cheers, Matt. That's another 21st Century Physio podcast. Proudly brought to you by Matt, innovators and world leaders in movement assessment technologies that bring your practice into the 21st century. For more great information and tips to bring your practice into the 21st century, head over to www.podcast.physio. Lastly, if you love the podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. It's very much appreciated. See you on the next episode.